Well, good evening. How are you? It's good to see you. I'm from England, but I have married an Australian, so hopefully that will uh, ease the pain of having a Brit here. Um, but it's great to see you, and it's a real honor, and I've heard so much about One Church since Tim and Melissa came, and I just want you to know, and I'm sure you know already, what an amazing pastor you have in Tim. And I remember someone, someone called me when Tim was kind of applying for the job and discerning. Someone called me, I don't know who, you may be here tonight, but called me to kind of get a reference. And I think I, I, think I actually used the phrase, you would be stupid not to hire him. We've tried for many times to hire Tim, uh, and so many others have, and you got him. You got him and Melissa and the family, and so I hope you know in this cultural moment, good pastors are hard to find, and you got yourself a good one. So honor them, bless them, and love them well, because it's, it's hard being in ministry, and it's a great sacrifice. And Tim has said how much he loves you and loves this church, and so I'm so thankful that He's found a home and you found a home with him. Well, this evening, we want to look together at a simple, simple topic, how to tell others about Jesus. How to tell others about Jesus in this cultural moment. Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to you and me, those words in Acts chapter one, where he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth, including Melbourne. That you have been born here or brought here to tell people about Jesus. Of all the decades in global history for you to be born and for all the cities for you to be born into, God chose sovereignly you to be born right now, right here, because he has people in your world that he wants you to tell about Jesus. We are carriers of the good news. But how do we do that in this cultural moment? Because I don't know about you, but I struggle in this cultural moment to tell people about Jesus. There are many obstacles and many challenges. More than many generations, we're finding ourselves now with great opposition and challenges to telling people about Jesus. This was very clear to me when my wife and I moved to Los Angeles, a city very much like Melbourne. We moved in 2012, 2011, to start a church. We really didn't know that many people. We were kind of starting from scratch. And so I was trying to meet as many people as I could. And one of the new friends that I met invited me one day to this launch event at a bar in Beverly Hills. And I thought, wow, I'm living the LA life. This is great. So I turned up at six o'clock waited outside for my new friend and realized very much the LA vibe when my friend didn't even show up to meet me. But I thought, you know what? doesn't matter. I'll go in. So I went in, went up to the bar, got myself a drink, and I saw this little cocktail table with three people having a great old chat. So I thought, you know, I'll join them. So I went over, and for about half an hour, I was having this wonderful conversation with these three people hearing about their stories of being in the entertainment world and the scripts they were writing, the auditions they were going for. I loved it. It was great. We were getting on like a house on fire. It was amazing. Until one of them asked me that dreaded question. So, Gare, what brings you to L.A.? I said, oh, man, this is going so well, I just don't think I should say. 
very LA response. They said, hey, bro, you be you, bro. We're here for you. It's okay. I went, no, man, it's, it, is, it, it won't go well if I tell you why I'm here. And they went, this is LA. Everything is normal. You can be who you want to be. We're right here for you. I said, okay, well, don't blame me when I say. I said, I'm actually a Christian a pastor, and I've come to start a new church in Santa Monica. The guy on my left immediately took up his drink and left the table. The guy in front of me picked up his drink and looked at me and went, but you're such a nice guy. And he left the table. And then the woman on my right looked at me and her eyes went glassy with tears and her face went bright red. It looked like she was afraid that I was going to condemn her or shame her or criticize her. And she picked up her drink and just said very politely, excuse me, and she left the table. I then realized this cultural moment is a unique one. We're facing many and increasing challenges to sharing the good news with people. Now, of course, there's always been spiritual opposition. That we have an enemy who does not like you sharing your faith and will throw up obstacles and opposition. But that's not unique to this cultural moment. What we're finding is something unique in culture, a cultural opposition, which is born out of living in this postmodern generation that we're living in, where our faith is opposed in particular because of the movement from objective to personal truth, where people are simply wanting to find what works for them. You be you and I'll be me. And let's not think there's some objective truth out there We all have our own truth. There's this movement from authority to autonomy. I don't want a worldview or a spirituality which I have to surrender to. I want to create something that I'm in control of. And then there's the movement from evidence to experience. Where people are less convinced by any evidence about faith. Any evidence for truth. They just want something to work for them whether it be hot chai lattes and yoga. You know what? That works for me. You do what works for you. How, do you. how do you present the faith of Jesus into this kind of cultural context? There's also, of course, the movement away from Christendom, this post-Christendom environment where Melbourne, like LA, has got a rich heritage of Christianity, and yet that's been eroding over many decades and accelerating with covid where the Christian voice has moved from the majority to the minority, where the Christian voice has moved from the center of conversation and culture to the fringe and kind of being pushed out to the fringe. And what's interesting, increasingly, particularly in my city, and maybe in yours as well, the Christian voice has moved from being respected to disrespected. Where we used to have the high moral ground, we now have the low ground in ethics, where Christians were seen to be what is good in society, even if we didn't believe in what they believed in, we are now seen as what is wrong with society. This came home in a very personal way to my family when my wife had a tough time in her job. She is a hairstylist by profession, and she was having a great time in this salon in Brentwood, just up the road from 
Santa Monica, and she loved the people she was working with, and she was there for about 18 months, until one day, one of the other hairstylists Googled her and found out that she was married to me, a Christian pastor of a church just down the road. And this person complained to their manager. And a day later, my wife lost her job. It was felt that a Christian presence, even though my wife hadn't even said anything, just a Christian presence in that environment would create a toxic environment, a hostile environment perceived so. These are real. These are the real challenges. And because of all these challenges culturally, we kind of have this instinctual fear and challenge ourselves to sharing our faith. We don't want to be maybe part of the voice of intolerance or unloving environments that maybe people feel Christians are. We want to love people well, and so many people are going, oh, I don't want you to feel like I'm not loving you by telling you about Jesus. We fear for our reputations. We fear for our jobs. We, we fear that we may be rejected by our workplace or our friends. And then, of course, with so many challenges and obstacles, there's so many questions people have about faith. And so we also feel inadequate. I don't, I don't know about you, but I think, ah, oh, gosh, I don't know about how am I going to answer people's questions. The questions are off a different, just off the charts now compared to what they were 20, 30 years ago. I don't know how to answer people's questions around suffering or why God allowed this or what about other religions. Or, I just don't know what to say. And so more and more we retreat away from sharing our faith. We would love people to come to know Jesus, but there's a huge gap between our desire and our ability. How on earth do we tell people about Jesus in this cultural moment? And one of my fears was, oh gosh, every time I heard kind of a sermon, a talk like this, I would instinctively kind of retreat because I thought the motivation and the action would be telling me to do something that would be embarrassing and cringy and ineffective. It would be, okay, now next week you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And I grew up in a church which sincerely wanted to tell people about Jesus, but we sincerely did all the wrong things. I remember I actually stopped telling people about Jesus because I was so wounded and hurt by these methodologies that just didn't seem to fit anymore with our cultural context. Our church would do things like go down to the pedestrian area in our local town and we would take the worship team down there. We would play music and hope to strike up conversations with people. It was, and it really didn't work much. I remember one Saturday afternoon, we were down there, and it was pretty ineffective. People were trying to do everything to, to not go near us and walk around us. And then someone had the great idea, well, someone needs to tell their story to hear the good news about Jesus. And someone's pointed at me, this kind of very kind of mouthy 19-year-old, as I was at the time. They said, you, gay, you, you need to kind of just tell people about Jesus. No one's stopping, so just tell people. So I thought, okay, so I thought, great. So I was in the middle of the pedestrian area, and I, was, I started to tell people about Jesus, so share my story. And people were looking at me strangely, trying to avoid me, trying to run past me. It was awful. And then a friend of mine, Barry, came up to me and said, yeah, yeah, stop, it's not working, it's not working. I'll take over. You go over there, it's not working. I'll take over. 
But Barry did something really strange. Barry, in taking over, went to a local, uh, this little trash can over on the side, and he took the lid off and took out a big black trash bag, tied a knot in the top, went into the middle of the pedestrian area, and just all of a sudden threw the trash bag in the air and caught it. And then again, he threw it in the air and caught it. He threw it in the air and caught it. And we thought, what on earth are you doing, Barry? He kept throwing the trash bag in the air. And then we were going, what on earth are you doing? And then everyone else in the pedestrian area was going, what on earth are you doing? What is this guy doing? And then five people stopped, 10 people stopped. About 30. Then before we knew it, Barry was still throwing this trash bag in the air and catching it. And about 100 people had gathered around Barry. And then all of a sudden, Barry threw it in the air. And with all 100 people watching, as he threw it in the air, he turned to me and said, Gare, now, preach, now. So I ran into the middle and started to tell my story about Jesus and dispersed the crowd as quickly as he assembled the crowd. And I went away going, I'm never telling anyone about Jesus ever again. This is ineffective. Sincere in our heart, but ineffective in our methodologies. How do we tell people about Jesus in this cultural moment? How do we not just delegate it to people like Tim? Okay, we're paying you, bro, to do it for us. We'll do worship and evangelism and Bible studies, but evangelism is over to you. How do we not see our city lost without Jesus? And the voice of the church find its voice again. Well, I want to share with you this morning what I have to tell myself every year to rekindle and embolden my even heart to tell people about Jesus. There's two things I've got to do every year. I want to suggest them to you. I've got to remind myself of the why and I've got to refresh my how. Remind myself of the why it's so important to tell people about Jesus. And then refresh how, like what's going to work in Los Angeles in 2023, not just what's going to work, but what's going to actually mean that I say to myself, oh, I can do that. It's not too hard. It's not too embarrassing. It's not, it, I can actually do that. It's the why and the how. We're going to, for the why, we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 together. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 16. Get it out on your phone. Get it out on your hard copy if you still have one of those. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 to discover why it's so important for you, not just him, but for you to tell others about Jesus. Acts chapter 16, the context here is simply this. Paul is traveling around Asia Minor, kind of modern day Turkey kind of area to visit the churches he's already planted, but also God's directing him to plant some new churches. And we pick it up in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. So just to pause here. So they're trying to go north and, and east, but they can't. God is somehow preventing them. And so they end up on a coastal town on the western side of Turkey going, God, what are you, where do you want us to go? And they're waiting for instructions from God. And 
we come to verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Say begging. That's one of you. Are you all awake? Begging. Okay, say begging. Begging. How many of you know what it's like to beg? It's not, we're not used to that in a modern, developed city. How many of you know what it's like to beg? During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul's waiting for instructions from God. And God could have easily just appeared and said, hey, go to Macedonia. Go over to Macedonia. But he didn't. Paul, God had to do something not to Paul's head, but to his heart. You see, you will do what is not just in your head, but it's what is motivated by your heart. You do what you love. For God so loved the world. Paul says, compelled by love. And so God had to break into Paul's life and in telling us about Jesus, he had to break his heart for those who don't know him. And look at what he did. He said, in the middle of the night, he had a vision, a trance of some sort of a man from Macedonia. Now we don't know how Paul knew he was from Macedonia. Maybe wearing the football jersey of Macedonia or something, we don't know. But here was something shocking, and it's, it's important to see why it's so shocking. So Macedonia was the city, the cultural elite of the time. It was the city of leisure, pleasure, and treasure, kind of like Melbourne, where people had it all. This was the city where everybody wanted to live. This is the city that looked like they had it all together. They're the last people to be in need. And yet here before Paul was a man who looked like he should have it all together, who looked like he was living the good life, begging for help. Begging for help. That this person had come to the end of realizing that all the leisure, all the pleasure, all the treasure that you can put into your life is not going to be the answer of life. And God showed Paul very simply what it was like to have everything but not have Jesus. And it's not just, oh, well, it'd be nice to have Jesus. It was begging for help. Do you remember what it was like to face the challenges of life without Jesus? to try and solve the problems of your marriage or your family or your career or your health simply with things and not the alpha and the omega of life. I remember the lostness I felt without Jesus. The cries of pain 
in this man still resonate in my ear of what it was like to go through life without him? Do you hear the cries of your city? Do you just look at the leisure, pleasure, treasure? Do you look at the, the, the great stores, the, the G-wagons and the wonderful homes? Or do you see that these are all, this is what everyone's just trying to do to stuff into the problems of their life. But at night they realize their hearts are crying out in pain. Telling others about Jesus is not obedience. It's responding to the cries of pain. It's responding to the cries of those, I don't know how I'm going to go forward. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have any hope. I've got a diagnosis. I've got a diagnosis I don't know what to do with. I've got a problem in my family I don't know how to get over. My job's on the line. I don't know how I'm going to survive. The cries of pain of those who don't stand on the foundation of King Jesus. Never mind facing the ultimate death and facing our eternity. Every year, I've got to recognize, and this may just be me, but it's so easy for me to get caught up in the Christian world, which is kind of like putting noise-canceling headphones on to the cries of the lost. It's so easy, isn't it, just to get busy and just hear the cries of the church, the cries of, oh, man, the worship is amazing, by the way, but in our church, like, there's the cries of, oh, the worship could be better, the Bible studies could be better, the community is, isn't quite as good. We hear the cries of church not being perfect. And yet every day, every night, every minute, Jesus hears the cries of those who don't know him. And every now and again, like with Paul, he'll let you hear the cries that he hears every single minute. Do you hear the cries of your city? Maybe just tonight, your first, your first response is, okay, Lord, let me hear what Paul heard. Let me see the reality of what it's like. But it's one thing to be a hostage to those cries. I love that Paul in verse 10 of what we read said, so we went at once. If you hear the cries of someone begging for help, you don't kind of dilly-dally. You don't kind of wait around. You go at once. And, and yet, here's the question. Well, it's one thing to go, yes, at once. Let's do it. Gary, I hear the cries of the lost. I know what it's like not to know Jesus. I see everyone stuffing their life with all, the, all of these things, but they're not God. But what do we do? What do we do in this cultural moment with all the challenges that we heard before? How do we do this in a way that people will respond? That people will feel loved, that we won't lose our jobs, that we won't commit social suicide. Well, I want to kind of share two things that I try and commit to doing, that I'm finding is kind of making a bit of headway, because I'm not a natural evangelist. I don't know about you, but I'm not one of those natural evangelists. And so I do two things that I want to offer to you. The first thing is simply this. Be a friend to those who don't know Jesus. Be a friend to those who don't, for those who don't know Jesus. Do you realize that when Jesus came, 
to reveal himself to this world. He didn't come and put on a stadium crusade. He didn't actually just invite people to church and preach. It said he became a friend of sinners. He actually came down to our level. He dressed in our clothes. He hung out where they hung out. And he became a friend. See, evangelism is always God's initiative. God is always talking to people. But eventually, he's going to need you or me to be in that conversation to help someone with their next step. We're always joining God in what he's doing. But he needs, he's limited himself to needing us to be part of that conversation. And therefore, he has placed you around people to befriend. Just as he's sending Paul, so he sends us to befriend our neighbors, to befriend our colleagues, to befriend people in our community. See, friendship is the beginning of telling someone about Jesus. Do you know why? Because... God is eventually going to do something in their lives that raises spiritual questions and they then need a Christian friend to turn to. See, friendship isn't about shoving Jesus down your friend's throat. Friendship is about loving them, building trust and confidence with them that when God does something in their life that raises spiritual questions, they come to you. They come to you. God is at work in everyone's lives. He's the great evangelist. And he's using normally one of the three T's, as I call it, tension, trauma, or transition, to kind of awaken people to the reality that leisure, pleasure, treasure are not the gods that will take care of people. And when the three T's come, time and time again, someone will start to have these spiritual questions and go, what is the answer to life? I don't know, I feel hopeless. And then they remember, oh my word, I've got to speak to Tim. I've got to speak to Melissa. How do you cope? You seem, you're a person of faith. What, what do you say? I don't know anybody in Los Angeles, in our church, and maybe even here today, is the same. I don't know anyone who's come to faith without a Christian friend. Someone in their life loved them. God wants to always use us in his work. And it starts then with you being a friend. And eventually, God will do something in their life. And he's going, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful that Dan has befriended this person because I'm going to do something here. And Dan's just the right guy to then carry on the conversation. I remember I was a lawyer in London for many years, and I built a friendship with my boss, a partner of the law firm called Michael, who we shared an office together. Michael was a devout atheist, never been to church and wasn't a fan of Christians. But we became good friends and we would go out after work and go for drinks and we'd share about various things. And he knew I was a Christian because I would tell him I had a great time at church and and I even invited him to Alpha a couple of times, but he didn't want to come. One day in the office around, around lunchtime, I was working away and Michael burst into the door and said, get me and you coffee now. I thought, oh no, this is it. It was going so well. (laughs) We went out for coffee and I said, Michael, what's wrong? He said, well, you're a Christian, right? I said, yeah, you know that. He said, well, explain this to me. Michael had, just before lunch, decided to go home 
for lunch. And on the way, he said, on the way back to my house, I passed this church, church called St. James's. He said, as I was walking past St. James's, this man came out of the church and came right up to me and said, excuse me, but I've just been in a prayer meeting in that church and God told me to walk out the church, find the first guy I saw and give him a message from God. I'm thinking, oh God, let this be good. <laughs> this could put back Michael's journey for a long way. This, I said, Michael, what, what did he say? And Michael said, well, you know, I've like, lost a loved one recently. And we'd been talking about it over drinks at night, and he'd been grieving. He said, well, this guy said to me, God wants me to tell you that God knows that you've just lost a family member, and you're really grieving, and God wants to be with you, and he loves you, and he wants to grow in relationship with you. But he knows of your pain, and he is in pain with you. I said, Michael, what did you do? He said, well, I, I ran to you, of course. <laughs> I, well, you didn't even say anything to the guy. No. How did he know about my life? And I ran to you. What is going on? I said, Michael, it, it, it seems that God might want to love you and be with you. So much so that he asked a guy in a prayer meeting to do the bravest thing he's ever done in his life, to come outside and tell you that. God was already working sovereignly in Michael's life. And I had just the joy of being his friend. And those two things collided. Over the next few months, I had the privilege of bringing Michael on the tube from the city of London down to the West End to go on Alpha and begin his journey of exploring Jesus. It's to be a friend is to be proximate, as Jesus was proximate. That at the right time, you have been positioned to help someone in their next step towards Jesus. But here's the challenge. I certainly have this challenge of, oh my word, but I feel so inadequate there. What do I do with this friend? What do I do with this friend? Because there seems to be so many challenges. I don't know kind of how to help them from A to Z. Or A to Z, which one do you say? Z. I don't know what to do. And this is the challenge of this cultural moment. I've got some slides here to show that this is the challenge which I've struggled with of what do I do with a friend? Because next slide here. So in the 1950s, if we go to the next slide, are we there? There it is. See, so the 1950s, evangelism was um, relatively momentary. What I mean by that is if someone had a spiritual awakening of some sort, they were curious about spiritual things, they already had kind of a, a foundation of Christianity in their vault. They understood the concepts of sin and Jesus. The church was respected. And really evangelism was having great anointed men or women to kind of stop people and go, okay, but you need to make up your mind. It was a convictional moment and there were things... Basically, you would confront people. Where are you going to go when you die? Get your act together. You, you need to take this seriously. And in Australia and in England and in America, great 
evangelism crusades and stadiums with these momentary moments of conviction. But as you know, things didn't stay the same. And then by the 70s and 80s, next slide, there were now things in, in the way of someone's growth towards Jesus. It wasn't a moment. People had questions. Well, hang on a minute. What about other religions? Kind of globalization, the rise of the 80s and prosperity and travel and movement of workers meant people were exposed more to the multiculturalism of society. Well, hang on a minute. How do I know that Jesus is true? What about other religions? And so our response to that was, again, wonderful. Many people wrote great books trying to explain why Jesus was true and helping overcome these obstacles. So books like Evidence That Demands a Verdict or The Case for Christ or More Than a Carpenter, these amazing books. But see, we're not even there now because we're in a wholly different place. In 2023, the next slide, we've got so many more obstacles, which I kind of said at the beginning of our time together, that people, if they're open for spirituality, actually aren't even looking at Jesus, they're more likely to turn to kind of green tea lattes and hot yoga for their spiritual quest rather than go to Jesus. There's there's so much baggage, there's so many questions, there's so many traumatic experiences people have with the church and nothing in the news over the last two years has helped that. That people are so far. How do we as individuals bring them from A to Z? When we feel, I don't have all the answers. And that's why evangelism has always been a team sport. I feel I can't do it on my own. As a church in LA, what we did was we need to have a space where people can simply bring their friends and together we can go on this journey. And that, in our context, is called Alpha. Over a series of 10 weeks, what we find, next slide, is this is kind of what happens. People go on this messy, organic, led by the Holy Spirit, up and down, kind of emotional, kind of anger and enjoy journey as people process their wounds, their hurts, their questions. It's kind of what Jesus did for three years with his disciples. Just made space for them. One of the great joys of Alpha is I found with people like Michael and many others who have brought to Alpha, one of the great joys of inviting someone to Alpha is literally, in my experience, it's the first method of evangelism that those being evangelized enjoy the process. Have you ever realized that before it was always target practice, trying to convince people, kind of a combative posture, and with Alpha, finally non-Christians go, I actually value this experience. I'm heard. I, I get to discuss openly. I'm not judged. I'm not pressured. I'm not criticized. And over the 10 weeks, and in our context in LA, people are so far back, sometimes they come on three or four alpha courses. But what they do over that time is we just say to people, look, you're going to be so swept up in this kingdom culture that you are truly going to taste and see that the Lord is good. So if I have two things that I simply do to tell others about faith, it's simply this. Be a friend and bring someone to Alpha. Be a friend and bring someone to Alpha. 
as a person who's not naturally gifted in evangelism, I think, even I think, okay, I can do that. I can do that. In response to the cries of those who don't know Jesus, that's probably the least I can do. But I can do that. Be a friend and invite someone to Alpha. I want to end our time talking. There's so many stories I could tell, but one of my favorites is a friend called Kiki. Kiki was a Reiki massage therapist in LA. And she was massaging someone one day, and uh, unbeknownst to her, but the, her client, who she'd seen on many occasions, was a member of our congregation called Ruth. And Ruth had listened to me, and I say it three times a year, as Tim said tonight, who are you going to bring to Alpha? Come on, we've all got people in our lives. Who are you going to bring to Alpha? God's placed you next to a friend, and who are you going to bring? Well, Ruth was feeling the pressure. She's feeling the heat of, oh no, who am I going to bring to Alpha? So she got desperate. So on the massage table, she just turned to Kiki and went, do you want to come to Alpha? Kiki went, excuse me, what is Alpha? And so Ruth explained, look, it's just a safe place. It's just come for the first night. It's a safe place where a lot of us just discuss faith, life, the big questions of spirituality. We explore Jesus, and we have this little catchphrase, no judgment, no pressure, no preaching. That's our kind of our catchphrase, no judgment, no pressure, no preaching. And she said, um, it's not a church, is it? She went, no, 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 it's Alpha. It's not a church. So Kiki said, oh, sure, come along. Sounds fun. So Kiki came to the first night. She happened to be assigned to my group that Wednesday evening. But Kiki didn't say a word for six weeks. Didn't say anything. And that's the beauty of Alpha. You don't have to say anything. You can just be you. On the seventh week, when we came to small group discussion, Kiki said, at the very start of the conversation, actually, Gare, can I say something? I went, of course. How wonderful. And Kiki told us a story. She said, look, I, as I've been listening to everyone here and I really loved the experience, but I never liked Christians. And when I found out in this group that Gare was a Christian, I almost didn't come back. But I thought I'd hang in there because I liked the rest of you. She said, look, I've tried everything. She's in her 50s. She says, I've been through every Eastern religion. I've gone through every experience. This is California. Looking for meaning, looking for truth, looking for what I believe. And over the last six weeks, I've been listening and thinking, is it really, Jesus? Really? And to be honest, these are the first Christians I've ever liked. And so I started to listen more once I realized that they weren't like the other Christians I've met. And she said, last week, Gare, when you ended the group last week, you remember you challenged us to say, look, why don't you all go home this week? And even if you don't believe it, just take some time and just say this prayer. Jesus, if you're real, show your love to me. So I woke up on Thursday morning and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. And she said, so just before I went out to work, I just stood in the hallway and said, okay, Jesus, if you're real, show your love to me. 
And she said, I suddenly was overwhelmed in my hallway by this incredible warmth of love that went through my whole body. It seemed like forever just kind of, just felt these waves of love. I was crying with, what is this love that I've never experienced before? She said, I could hardly go to work. I didn't want to leave. But she said, I went to work and I, want, I said, I, I thought to myself, I want everyone to experience this. So as I was massaging, I'd go, Jesus, if you're real, show your love to them too. And she said, look, I know most of us don't believe in Jesus here, but something's happened to me this week. She said, I've been looking everywhere for truth, everywhere for what is the meaning of life. And she said, and I, I found it, and it's Jesus. Kiki then was transformed in her life and couldn't help but just keep bringing people to Alpha herself because she had a friend on a massage table who simply knew what it was like not to know Jesus and to look up one morning and say, hey, Kiki, would you come to Alpha? Be a friend and bring someone to Alpha. That's all God requires for him to do his thing and bring people home. Let's stand together.